call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome into the Ringer Gambling Show. My name is Austin Gale here with Warren Sharp, talking through the NFL slate every single week, aiming to highlight some of the games in the 1 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Eastern slate. But that's changing for me now, Warren. A part of the introduction, I got to let people know, I am on the West Coast for good. Back again, I'm originally from Oakland, California. I'm moving to downtown Los Angeles to do some of these podcasts from the Spotify studios. I am very much looking forward to that. The biggest thing that's changed, Monday Night Football and Sunday Night Football end at like 9 o'clock. I forgot how great that was. And then I woke up Saturday at 8 a.m. and put some bets in for college football and the game started at 9 a.m. I don't. I, I think that the West Coast time zone is the best time zone. I don't know if you disagree. I don't know that I disagree. I live my life on the East Coast at a West Coast time zone, more or less. So I, I'm not that far off from what you're thinking here. But the only question I have is the London games got to really yes. mess you up, though. Yeah, that's like you should have waited to like move like two weeks from now when the London games are over and done with. But uh, I mean, that's got to be rough. The London game on Sunday, waking up at 6.15 to watch Kirk Cousins play football was an (laughs) interesting experience. And even right now, we're normally doing this podcast at what, 10 a.m. Eastern? It's 7 a.m. Eastern. Quite the early morning for me, but I'm enjoying it. I love the West Coast. I love being back in California. It is an exciting time. All right, let's get in some of these games here. Where I wanted to start is on the East Coast. Miami Dolphins at New York Jets. Right now, that line at three and a half. The Jets are three and a half point dogs at home and the total set at 43 and a half. Both sides have, I mean, I I think the Jets more so than the Dolphins have reason for recent optimism, right? Zach Wilson in the fourth quarter of that game against the Pittsburgh Steelers looked really, really good. I think he went 10 for 12, over 100 yards, had two touchdown scoring drives that helped the Jets come back against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I thought in that game, Zach Wilson showed a lot of what people wanted him to be coming out of BYU. The trick shot artist, the guy that can make all these wacky throws from different arm angles and push the ball downfield. Be that gamer, be that dog that people saw at BYU. And I think a lot of Jets fans coming out of that win feel more confident in Wilson and the quarterback position than honestly they ever have since drafting him number two overall. For the Dolphins, on the opposite side of the spectrum, right, the biggest storyline coming out of that Thursday night loss against the Cincinnati Bengals in week four is obviously Tua Tagovailoa suffering a severe head injury where he went into a fencing response, was saw, saw, saw motionless on the ground. 
immediately put in the concussion protocol, immediately, you know, the Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, everyone put under fire, the independent neurologist fired for doing, you know, for the protocols that they had in week three when he looked like he was also with a head injury. Now, out for week five, it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater suiting up and starting for the Miami Dolphins against the New York Jets. This line at three and a half, Jets are dogs, Dolphins on the road. What are the initial storylines you're looking at for this game? Obviously, quarterbacks, I think, are the biggest ones with Wilson playing well of late and where Teddy Bridgewater now has to replace um, Tua Tungvaluwa in this electric Mike McDaniels offense. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, quarterbacks, generally speaking, are the place to start. And there's two interesting storylines here with both teams. Um, With Wilson, one of the interesting factors to me from last week's game was how much he struggled versus the Blitz. And I guess you could say, well, that was the first week that he came back. And so it's only natural that he's going to struggle. And yes, that is that is the case. But they're going to have to fix that and fix it quickly because they're about to play the Miami Dolphins. Um, and the Miami Dolphins have one of the highest blitz rates in the NFL. And for the first couple of weeks, they weren't able to get pressure. But the last couple of weeks, they've really stepped that up. So a couple of notes on Zach Wilson struggling versus the Blitz against the Steelers. Uh, his performance was abysmal when he was being blitzed. When he wasn't being blitzed, he was averaging 8.4 yards per attempt, 60% completions. Those dropped to 3.7 yards per attempt and 27% completions when the Steelers did blitz him. Obviously, EPA flipped from plus 0.32 to minus 0.86. It was pretty crazy. He ranked 33rd out of 34 quarterbacks versus the blitz last week, but number five out of 34 when he wasn't blitzed in terms of his overall efficiency. Now, What's notable about that from the Steelers is that they were not able to get pressure without T.J. Watt the prior couple games. Watt was lost in week one. Weeks two and three, the Steelers just weren't able to get pressure. Uh, When they did blitz, quarterbacks were still having a lot of success. Weeks two and three, quarterbacks were averaging 9.4 yards per attempt when the Steelers were blitzing. 67% completion when the Steelers were blitzing. Um, And then against Zach Wilson, he was obviously uh, terrible. Miami blitzes at the seventh highest rate. Pittsburgh was number 22 prior to last week. Uh, And the Dolphins are getting more pressure of late. And then you get the offensive line of the New York Jets. They're massively banged up. They just lost their starting right tackle. They already are through Makai Becton and Dwayne Brown and George Fant. All those guys are on IR. So they had to juggle the offensive line a ton during the game last week. That's not going to be great against this Miami Dolphins team. The other positive about Zach Wilson, though, he was much better with play action last week than he had been last season. I know it's a very small sample size, but if you look at the splits, I won't regurgitate all these numbers to you, but they're great when he was using play action last week and decidedly better than what he was doing last year. Last year, it was shocking how poor he was when utilizing play action. Was this something that they improved for him this offseason? Did he get more work? Did he figure out a better strategy to utilize play action? Uh, maybe so, because he looked a lot better last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And one thing to note, the Miami Dolphins have been the worst pass defense in the NFL against play action on early downs so far this season. And so that could be something that the Jets take advantage of. On the flip side, you got Teddy Bridgewater and, you know, Teddy covers. They call him Teddy covers for a reason. He covers a spread. And I think the long rest for the Dolphins after that really difficult game against the Bills in the heat and then turning around at such a short turn turnaround timetable to go up on the road on Thursday against the Bengals. Brutal. And yet Tua was doing good things with this offense um, for a while. Of course, it's going to be a downgrade when Teddy has to get inserted midway through. Extra time to get Teddy prepared for this game. I think this game's going to be fun. The Dolphins have owned this series of late. Um, and there's been a lot more unders than there have been overs. But do you have any initial thoughts as to where you're looking from a betting perspective on this one? I wanted to, before I get into kind of where my lean is, I think you brought up a lot of the same points I wanted to get to on Zach Wilson and this New York Jets offense. I I sent out a tweet yesterday comparing Zach Wilson to a beer pong player, and Jets fans are not happy. They won a game. They only want positive takes, positive analysis on Zach Wilson. However, the concerns I have with Zach Wilson that I think will ring true until we see otherwise across a larger sample size is that he just has not been accurate in the NFL. He ranked dead last, according to PFF, and on-target throw percentage when kept, kept, when kept clean last year. 
51% of his passes when kept clean last year and even including the sample size this year. So over the last two seasons in his career, 51%. That's the lowest of any quarterback with at least 300 clean pocket dropbacks uh, over the last two years. Then you look at win pressure. That number drops from 51% to 27%, which is also dead last in the league among the 31 quarterbacks who have been pressured 100 times over the last two seasons. That is a major concern. And when you look at this Miami Dolphins defense, they are going to get pressure on Zach Wilson and force him to make accurate throws. Why? They run a lot of man coverage. Man coverage forces you to make accurate throws. So does zone, zone coverage too. But when you are playing into one-on-one -on -one situations and you have Xavier Howard and these guys draped all over him, the ball needs to be in the right place if you are going to have any success throwing the ball down the football field. And when you bring up Zach Wilson struggling against the Blitz, I also want to bring up this offensive line struggling against the Blitz. When blitzed, this offensive line is giving up pressure 50% of the time. That is 28th in the NFL, according to True Media. Now, when they aren't blitzed, they rank 27th in pressure rate allowed at 33%. So they're not good against the Blitz or not the Blitz, but 50% of Blitzes, Jets offensive line is allowing at least one pressure. That's majorly concerned. And then when you have Zach Wilson also struggling against the Blitz, in part because of that offensive line, I just see this matchup not looking good for a Jets team desperate for Zach Wilson to put two games, right? Two games or even just two quarters together uh, of success. Because the other part of this too is Zach Wilson did not really even look good until the fourth quarter. Through the first three quarters of play, he averaged negative 0.51 EPA per dropback, which is awful, you know, an awful stretch of three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, 10 of 12 for 128 and a touchdown, two touchdown scoring drives to get the win. I worry about him putting together complete games. I worry about him being accurate with the football against a blitz heavy, man heavy defense. That is all the concern. And then for two, and for the other side, and you brought up Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy covers. I think Teddy does cover. I think that this offense is so creative, so souped up with speed, and going to be well-rested on that 10-day rest, that Teddy doesn't have to be as good at Tua, where I think he isn't as good as Tua is with accuracy and throwing with anticipation. I think Teddy's one of those quarterbacks that can do that. I think Tua is just a little bit better. That's why he's the starter. But I think he's good enough at getting to his spot throwing with anticipation and throwing with accuracy to let Jalen Waddell, Tyreek Hill, and this offense have success against what is a very bad Jets defense. They are, in my opinion, the team, I, I think they're the team that covers this three and a half. I, I think if I had to lean aside, I don't like Zach, I don't like Zach Wilson versus this defense specifically, and I like Teddy to come in, not be Tua Tungavailoa, be what 80%, 75% of what he was, and if you insert that kind of quarterback into this offense, I think they do enough to put up points. Yeah, I do wonder how much Zach Wilson might end up running, looking at some of his rushing props as a result of this pressure. He's going to have to escape. He's obviously more mobile than Joe Flacco was. And one interesting nugget here from a strength of schedule perspective, the Miami Dolphins have the number two ranked offense, and they've played by my metrics the number one toughest schedule of opposing defenses. And if you look at the last two weeks, they played two top 10 defenses in the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals in those two games. And obviously we know the conditions in both of them were very challenging. Now they get to go up against the Jets defense that ranks 25th. And oh, by the way, the Jets have just played the Steelers and the Bengals offenses. And both of those offenses rank bottom 10 in efficiency. So we go for a Dolphins team that's been really tested offensively going up against really tough defenses to playing a massive step down in defensive class. We go from a Jets defense that has gotten it a little bit easy against some weaker offenses around the league. It is surprising that the Bengals are where they are at bottom 10 in efficiency, but blame some of that on the offensive play caller and calling too many first down runs and having to make that up <laughs> uh, late. But, you know, when the Jets played good offenses to start the season, which again, it sounds crazy, but the Browns are a top 10 offense right now. Uh, they gave up 30 points to the Browns and it wasn't close against the Ravens. They lost that game 24 to nine. So uh, they allowed points when they were playing decent offenses. The Miami Dolphins, even with Teddy and Mike McDaniel having 10 days to get ready for this one, I think would be still considered a very good offense. And it's going to be a test for this Jets defense. Final take on this game is that if you want to avoid the hook, right, and betting Dolphins minus three and a half, that you'd be betting over the hook. I like Dolphins first half minus two. You can get that at minus 110 on FanDuel. Betting Dolphins minus two first half, I think, is the, the bet I'd like more than betting the full game. However, if you want to bet full game, I would still lean Dolphins over the Jets. I think that um, because you have the three and a half, you can see a backdoor entering the conversation for the Jets, even if this game isn't, you know, if they're not within a striking chance of winning it in the last two minutes. If you like the Dolphins a lot, I like Dolphins minus two first half. Philadelphia Eagles 
at Arizona Cardinals is the game up next. This is another home dog. Cardinals in Phoenix are five and a half point dogs against the Philadelphia Eagles. I think this line opened up around three and a half. I saw four and a half in some spots. It's been stretched out out to five and a half. I was listening to the Philly special, which is a part of the Ringer podcast network where Benjamin Solak and Shield Kapadia talk Philadelphia Eagles every single week. They were stunned to see the line open up at that three and a half, four and a half mark. It's now out to five and a half. I think rightfully so. I think the Eagles are one of the, if not the best team in football right now, obviously the only undefeated team in the NFL. They have so much margin for error, starting with the Eagles. This offense if Jalen Hurts starts, you know, starts out slow, they could run the football. If Hurts starts out fast, then you have, um, you know, Devontae Smith and AJ Brown capitalizing. Like they have so much margin for error on offense that they can win multiple ways and score multiple ways. And defensively, John Gannon has had way more success than people expected. I remember you know, talking to multiple people saying, "I'm not buying the Eagles until I see Gannon put together a solid, consistent defensive game plan." And I think he has, and I think that has been a major improvement for this Eagles team where that was kind of previously thought as their Achilles heel. Also, Jalen Hurts maybe not reaching this level yet, but also they were giving up too many you know, plays in the passing game. The secondary wasn't good enough, all those different things. For the Cardinals, it's been a mess. It's, it's been a mess. They are a crazy 16-point comeback against the Las Vegas Raiders from being 1-3. They have not had consistent success moving the ball offensively. They're dead last, I believe, in EPA per play on first, down, or, or first and second downs. They rank 30th in total points scored and 30th in point differential in the first three quarters of games minus 57 in the first three quarters of games the Arizona Cardinals so far this year they've relied 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 on fourth quarter heroics from Kyler Murray to win the games that they've played that concerns me average depth of target for Kyler Murray on early downs is the lowest in the NFL and he has one of the best arms in the NFL I don't know what Cliff Kingsbury is doing I don't understand this offense I don't understand the Arizona Cardinals the Eagles are rightfully five and a half point favorites I don't know if I lay them with the points but man this is a lopsided affair in my opinion yeah I don't disagree with you on the line itself one thing that I always look at is kind of like what were the priors what happened in the look ahead line and then what was this line in the summer when we were thinking about both of these teams and Obviously, the Philadelphia Eagles have vastly exceeded expectations. Now, some of us were on the Eagles all offseason and bet them to have the most wins in the NFL at some nice long shot numbers and uh, were big on their futures. But to be the only team that's currently undefeated definitely changes their perception. Um, and to other people who weren't as bullish on them preseason, you know, they've really exceeded expectations. Uh, and then the Arizona Cardinals. Look, they're they're two and two. This is about what I was expecting out of this team uh, this season, and it's scary because this is the time. I know they're without DeAndre Hopkins still, but this is the time when typically they dominate. Is the beginning stretch of the season, and so if they drop this game and fall to a losing record, inevitably it happens every year. Kyler Murray tweaks something, gets banged up due to the style of play and how tiny he is, and at that point in time, you know this offense is derailed because. His ability to move around in the pocket, buy time, create things offensively, that is what makes this team special. We see you alluded to Cliff Kingsbury's not the guy who's making this offense special. It's just because he's got Kyler Murray that they're able to do what they are doing. Um, but this line over the summer was actually Philadelphia plus two, if you can believe it or not. So that is a, you know, it doesn't seem like I, I get the Philly special podcast thinking that this line should be higher. But from where our priors were this summer, and we've got four games in, Eagles have been great. Cardinals have been, like, I've been disappointed in the Cardinals, but I sort of expected that. They've kind of met my expectations, which were low of this team. I was on their unders. And that's a big swing to now they're at home catching five, five and a half. And I think at some spots it's, it's trending towards six. That's a massive line move right there. So I do think that that move was warranted. But I don't know that I would go to the to the lengths, even if they win this game by 14 points. I don't know that I would go to the lengths and say, well, the fair number should be closer to seven or something here. I just for sure. I just don't think that that's realistic. Now, breaking down this game, for me at least, one of the things that's very impressive is just how the Eagles have played offense so far this season. And this is a team, weeks one to three, they had one of the highest target depths on early down in the NFL, 8.8 yards per attempt. That was fifth highest in the league. Then they go into this game in a, in a monsoon with wind. I mean, that game still went over the total, but that game was, you, you turn it on or you look over at that screen where the game's on. It's like, 
how are they scoring all these touchdowns in this game? Because the rain is coming down sideways. It looks like terrible conditions. What does this offense do? They completely lower their target depth. It's only 4.1 air yards as opposed to 8.8 air yards on early downs in the first three weeks of the season. And instead, they ratchet up their yards after the catch, gain 9.4 yards after the catch. They're designing a higher completion, higher efficiency offense. We know that this team can run the ball a lot if they want to, and they were running it a ton last year. They have morphed this season, and they're much more of a pass-focused team, and they have the ninth most pass-heavy offense on first downs and are top 10 on all early downs in the first three quarters of games. And that includes the fact that they played this ridiculous rain game just last week. So we know that they can run the ball, but they're also leaning a lot more into the pass now than they did before. One of the issues that I have with this Arizona defense, in addition to the fact that it's terrible across the board, is specifically with a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, they struggle massively when they allow that quarterback to buy a little bit of time. The Arizona Cardinals defense, when opposing quarterbacks are getting the ball out in under two and a half seconds, this team isn't great defensively, but they are still 21st in EPA per attempt and 22nd in yards per attempt allowed when quarterbacks throw the ball in less than two and a half seconds. They're allowing 6.7 yards per attempt and plus 0.13 EPA. But when a quarterback holds on to the ball for at least three seconds on their drop back, they are allowing plus 0.70 EPA per attempt, and the league average is plus 0.05. The number 31 team is plus 0.42. They're at plus 0.70. That is obviously dead last in the NFL. They're allowing 11.9 yards per attempt, which is also dead last in the NFL. Yes, they've gone up against Mahomes and Derek Carr and Matthew Stafford and Baker Mayfield, which obviously the last two haven't been playing well. Baker Mayfield never really has played well. But the point, the point here is this is a team that is going to struggle against Jalen Hurts, in my opinion. Hurts can get the ball out quickly, on time, in rhythm. He's able to do that. And he is efficient when he does that, very efficient. However, he has the fifth highest time to throw in the league, averaging almost three seconds per attempt in general. He can hold on to the ball. He can create. He can wait for things down the field. And that's when this Cardinals defense is at its worst. I agree with you. I think this is a very bad matchup for a Cardinals defense that has gotten lucky the past few weeks in that they played a struggling Rams offense with a bunch of injuries on the line and minimal weapons outside of Cooper Cup. And then the Carolina Panthers just last week. I mean, those were the last two offenses they faced. Now they're going up against an Eagles team playing in a dome without weather to hurt them. I mean, I, I think this does have a Eagles success written all over it, but I'm not sure where the line is going to go from here. Yeah, I think that we've had these conversations before where we like a side, right? We think the Eagles are the better football team. We agree with the line movement going from like three and a half to four and a half to five and a half. At this point, maybe the value's out of the line, right? Maybe there isn't any value left in five and a half if you're betting Eagles minus five and a half. I looked at the first, first half line. You can get Eagles minus three and a half through the first half at plus 100. Getting that at even money, no VIG, I think that might have more value than the minus five and a half full game. Again, I look at first half lines because they're more, they're less, they're less beaten into efficiency. And sometimes, especially with the Arizona Cardinals, you can have expectations that teams will start out flat. Like I said before, through the first three quarters of games, the Arizona Cardinals have the worst point differential in the NFL, minus 57. And against this Eagles team, this offense, where I don't think they're going to be able to create pressure. I don't think they're they're going to, they're going to be able to slow Jalen Hurts down running the football. Benjamin Solak, the ringer, wrote an excellent piece today talking about how sustainable Hurts is as a runner and how how much success they're having spreading the run and running from the shotgun. The Arizona Cardinals defense is not ready for this. The Arizona Cardinals organization is not ready for this talented of a football team offensively. And I think on the other side of the ball, the same, I still have concerns with Cliff Kingsbury. And I have been not... I've been adamantly questioning Cliff Kingsbury as a play caller for multiple years now. I, I do not like how every single season we're seeing Kyler Murray, one of the best passers in the NFL, in the depths of hell in terms of average depth of target on early downs and on late downs. This offense does not maximize Kyler Murray, and it did not maximize DeAndre Hopkins, and it's not maximizing Mar Marquise Brown. Cliff Kingsbury is running the offense he's always run, and the offense that has always, always finished middle of the pack, even dating back to college when he had quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, he had all these talented players. Like this, in my opinion, is 
such an unfortunate situation for Kyler Murray because I don't think this offense is being maximized. And then that doesn't even bring up that the, you know, the offensive line is not top-notch and the receiving core is not top-notch, especially without DeAndre Hopkins. They just recently waived Andy Isabella. It is not a good football team offensively outside of Kyler Murray. And I think Cliff Kingsbury isn't maximizing the talents they have. I don't know if I have... I'm not going to put a big lean on Eagles minus five and a half. I will say this. The Eagles should win this game by 14 plus points because of just how underperformed, you know, how much the Arizona Cardinals have underperformed. But if I am betting this line, I am going Eagles minus three and a half at plus 100 on FanDuel for the first half. Yeah, and I'm I'm uh, looking at my book here to reference the Eagles schedule. And they play the Dallas Cowboys next week in Dallas on Sunday night football. So the only thing, in my opinion, that could like take a little bit of excellence away from the Eagles' effort on the field could be potentially looking ahead to a massive game against your hated rival on Sunday Night Football next week in Dallas, where the Eagles have historically struggled massively. Hopefully, as long as they keep their focus just through four quarters in this game, They can shift everything to the Cowboys. And then guess what? They have a bye immediately after that. They get a week off, rest and heal up. The byes are about to happen here starting next week. And and the Eagles have one of the earlier ones of the season. Uh, So if they, if I agree, if they bring their A game and Cliff Kingsbury brings his A game, it's not even close because Kingsbury's A game is not on par with what the Eagles are capable of doing here on either side of the football. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You bring up Cliff Kingsbury's A game. I don't know if we've seen his A game. If we have, uh, that's concerning. <laughs> the other it team is concerning. Up, the, the other team you brought up, the Dallas Cowboys, that gets us to our next game. Dallas Cowboys at Los Angeles Rams. Cooper Rush is undefeated as a starter. And if you haven't heard that yet, you haven't been alive because everyone has brought up that stat. Everyone has brought up that yep. stat if they cover the NFL at some point over the last few weeks. And it, for the Los Angeles Rams, four and a half point favorites at home in this one in SoFi Stadium. How far SoFi? And the total set at 43 and a half. I hate what has happened to the Rams, man. I was high on the Rams this season. I, I wrote a piece before the season talking about how Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup were going to eat in the red zone. And, and this offense was returning... You know, could return to what it was last year, even without Odell Beckham Jr., even without Andrew Whitworth. And defensively, I love the addition of Bobby Wagner. Jordan Fuller was healthy. They brought back, you know, they, 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 
I was excited about this Rams team. Did I think they'd be as good as they were when they won the Super Bowl the previous year? Probably not. But I thought they'd be closer than where they are right now. This Los Angeles Rams team has been so disappointing, specifically in the trenches, right? Like losing Andrew Whitworth and Bob Miller this offseason has really reared its head. Aaron Donald is the only player on defense that's consistently creating pressure for the Rams on that side of the ball. And offensively, I mean, Matthew Stafford took seven sacks in this last game, and some of those are on him, and, and you know he's trying to make a lot of what's going on, but a lot of this is the offensive line. A lot of this is Joseph Noteboom, who's replacing Andrew Whitworth at left tackle. The trenches are so bad in Los Angeles that they cannot move the football down the field. Kenny Pickett has two completions 20-plus yards down the field, so 20-plus air yards down the field, and he's played a half of football this year. Matthew Stafford has three, and he's played four games. That is concerning. The field is so condensed, and people will bring up Allen Robinson's not creating separation, and Cooper Cup isn't this burner down the field. I think it's some of that, but so much of it is that Matthew Stafford legitimately does not have time for plays to develop downfield. And McVay knows that and is not calling a lot of routes downfield. He, Tutu Atwell can't even see the football field and he's supposed to be this field stretcher, this burner, and he's not even getting on the field because I don't even think it would matter. Even if he is running nine routes and getting down the field, this offensive line isn't holding up. On the other side, Cooper Rush, in addition to being undefeated as a starter, has the Cowboys at 3-1. and one. Tied for second in the NFC East with the New York Giants. The NFC East has the best record in football, which is crazy to say out loud. And I think they're rallying around him. I was talking with Jason Goff yesterday on the Power Rankers episode uh, of the Ringer NFL feed here at the Ringer. And he was bringing up that, you know, when, when sometimes when, you know, the teams are like a human body and when, they, when the body gets sick, they make up places, you know, make it up in other places. You're seeing that a little bit with the Dallas Cowboys and that Trayvon Diggs, I think, is playing the best football of his career. Micah Parsons is on a defensive player of the year type of campaign. Like, I'm really excited about how the Dallas Cowboys, who should have been written off after week one, after a disastrous performance against the Bucs where Dak Prescott gets hurt, probably should have been written off after week one, have really rallied back. Not because Cooper Rush is a better leader and all that stuff that you see on ESPN First Take, but because this Dallas Cowboys team is still talented. It still was the favorite to win the NFC East for a lot of the offseason for a reason. They have good football players on this team, and they are, with Cooper Rush, sustaining a lot of that. Can they do that against a really still talented Los Angeles Rams team on the road, on the West Coast? Hard to say. But there's, pot, there's, a re, there's a lot more reasons for optimism for the Dallas Cowboys of late than there are for the Los Angeles Rams. What's your initial read on this one? Yeah, the initial read based upon, you know, your comments about the Rams offense struggling, I completely mirror those. And it's not going to get any better anytime soon, because if you look at the upcoming schedule for the Rams, I mean, they had a respite after that disgusting game against the Buffalo Bills to open the season, trying to defend their title uh, because they played the Atlanta Falcons defense and then the Arizona Cardinals defense. And those are two bottom 10 defenses in the NFL. Then they went up against the San Francisco 49ers and they're like slapped back into reality in that game. And over their next four games, they do have a bye week thrown in there, but their next four opponents all rank 12th or better in defensive efficiency, including games against the Cowboys and the 49ers again, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Carolina Panthers. So you know this team is not going to be able to play any crap defenses to really feel good about their offense again anytime soon. And that offensive line does not appeal to be appear to be healing up anytime soon either. Um, I'm going to say something that might sound a little bit strange here, but I think the one area that they need to attack in this game is the run defense of the Dallas Cowboys. And that may be shocking because I'm such a proponent of passing the football. But right now, this passing offense appears to be semi-broken. Their offensive line can't protect Stafford. He's not performing well under pressure. And the Dallas Cowboys are a massive run funnel team. Like this team is fifth best in pass defense. And they get after the quarterback with the best pass rush in the NFL. But they're 25th against the run. And they're dead last against explosive runs. Um, this is a defense that if you're going up against them, you better hope that the game is close so that you can continue to run the football. Now, the good news is that while Cooper Rush is the only undefeated quarterback or startup 4-0, whatever that stat statistic is, 63% of the Cowboys scoring plays have been field goals. So that's the highest rate of field goals in the league. Uh, the league average is only 42%. So they're not scoring touchdowns to gain separation. They're kicking a lot more field goals, which is keeping opponents in the game a little bit more. And that would allow the LA Rams to run the ball 
a little bit at a higher rate. Now, their running offense has been problematic. It's been up and down. It hasn't been great. But that is where they need to put some stress and pressure on this Cowboys defense is, is by running to minimize and slow down that pass rush a little bit. But that's the biggest kind of mismatch in this entire game, in my opinion, is when the Cowboys are pass rushing against this Rams uh, against this Rams offensive line, that is clearly the biggest mismatch. And we saw how many times Matthew Stafford was sacked and hit and his performance last week, it, it, it's been bad. And that's in part because the 49ers know the tendencies of this offense. The 49ers, like, I, I've heard podcasts come out and talk about, well, you know, that was last year that, like, just last year or the year before, Kyle Shanahan was good against the Rams. That's not going to carry on. And and I'm like, this is, like, there are some things in football that are just matchup nightmares for opposing teams. And on both sides of the football, the Rams have a disadvantage when they're playing the 49ers. And the 49ers know really well how to leverage their talent on their roster to attack what the Rams are trying to do, whether it's offensively or defensively. The Cowboys aren't necessarily the same as that. And their offense obviously is completely different than what the 49ers are going to try to do. So I do think this game is going to be very close and very competitive. But that's where I think this game is going to be won is, is whether or not the Rams can have any success running the football and how often Matthew Stafford has to drop back under pressure. That's Those are two statistics I think are going to decide this one. If the Los Angeles Rams go into this game without legitimate, legitimate commitment to running the football and, and running play action, I, I think they're going to be in a world of hurt because I think Michael yep. Parsons and this defensive line is going to feast, feast on any standard or, or you know standard drop-back heavy type of offense where they're trying to throw the football downfield and trying to do these things. They have to almost re like transform what this offense is. Right now, they rank 18th in total play action plays called on the season. I think that needs to go up. Right now, they cannot complete a pass down the football field, and I don't think they need to force it. They don't have the receiving talent to do it. They don't have the offensive line talent to do it. The worry I have about them trying to transform into this kind of run-heavy play-action style type of offense is that the offensive line, as bad as it is in pass protection, is still bad as a run-blocking offensive line. They're bottom five in yards before first contact per attempt, the, the Rams running backs are. That is very predictive of rushing success. If you are not getting push up front, you are not able to whether you have Cam Akers or Barry Sanders back there, it's going to be very difficult to move the ball forward running the ball. That's my concern. However, like you said, the mismatch is that the Dallas Cowboys aren't good against the run. You know, they rank bottom five in yards before first contact uh, per attempt allowed. That defensive line is getting pushed back. So that is where I think the Rams have an edge. For the Dallas Cowboys, their edges are definitely in when they do give you those opportunities to you know, pass rush against a standard dropback type of you know, uh, uh, pass. You can go get pressure. You can go make plays. You can create havoc plays. Offensively, the Rams' defense can't create pressure. Bottom 10 in pressure rate. Cooper Rush should be sitting back there pretty to really read the offense and do the things that he's had success doing to start this season. Both of these edges are tight. So tight that I just can't get on board with this four-and-a-half line. I, I, am, I am with Cooper Rush at plus four-and-a-half, and I know that's probably a heavily public bet given the success of the Cowboys and the the, the the failures of the Rams, right? The Rams, from a public perception perspective, uh, from public perception, are down. And the Cowboys, from public perception, are up. So you're kind of betting with squares in that the money that the, the public money is probably a lot on the Dallas Cowboys. But I like the Dallas Cowboys plus four and a half full game. I like them plus three first half. And I'm honestly going to probably sprinkle just a little half unit on plus 180 for, on the money line. Because I think this game is going to be close. This game is going to be close, and randomness is going to enter where a Stafford fumble changes this game or a, a Cooper Rush pick changes this game, and it keeps this thing tight. I am I'm on board with the Cowboys as a dog in this one. I, I, I like even sprinkling it on the money line at plus 180. The other thing I, I want to point out to people is that where do the Cowboys have training camp? They have training camp out in Oxnard, California every single year. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful area that of California, is, by the way. Is it that that is yeah. only an hour and a half, less than an hour and a half in traffic? Uh, I'm looking it up right now into <laughs> LA. Obviously, traffic's going to be worse right now uh, heading into the city uh, during your rush hour out there at 7 30 a.m. as we're recording this. So, 
I absolutely think that this home field advantage, you know, there might not be nearly as many Rams fans there as you might expect. I think we've seen the San Francisco 49ers fans come in there and take over the stadium. I don't know if it's going to be to that extent whatsoever, but I do think that there are going to be plenty of Dallas faithful there to root on Cooper Rush. And and I tend to agree with you uh, in terms of where I'd be looking in this game. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the public will be looking there as well after what they saw from the Rams just yesterday uh, or just on Sunday, rather. Or actually, no, Monday. Yeah, so two days ago. But at any rate, I think that this game is going to be very tight. Your point is well taken. I, I don't think it's a heavy lean for me, right? And I think what we are, I think it's important too to like, not necessarily couch this analysis, but like, I think it's important too. Like, I want to go over some of the biggest games every single week. And with that, provide betting analysis and analysis of the matchup and those things. Not always am I identifying games where I think there's massive opportunity or massive value, especially at this point in the week. The massive value in betting the NFL is on Sunday nights and Monday mornings before lines move. If you could have got the Eagles at minus three and a half against the Cardinals, God bless you. You know, like, that's great closing line value. That's exactly where you want to be if you're looking for actual value betting the NFL markets. If you're looking right now as an NFL better and trying to get bets in before Sunday, trying to pick apart what remaining value is left is honestly what I'm trying to do on this show. Trying to pick apart what remaining value is left with all the movement that's been made on the totals and all the movement that's already been made uh, on the spreads. Last but not least, what I think is the game of the week, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the game of the week. Cincinnati Bengals going to Baltimore. That's three point dogs on the road. Total set at 48 and a half. Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens have been electric in that in Lamar that Jackson has been electric, right? He's got 13 of their 14 touchdowns. He's either thrown a rush for 13 of their 14 touchdowns on the season. Steve Ruiz, Benjamin Solak, everyone is talking about just how little Greg Roman and this supporting cast has done to prop up Lamar Jackson and create easy offense for Lamar Jackson. He has had to do it by himself. Not all that dissimilar to Kyler Murray. Now, it hasn't been because of conservative play calling. I would call it conservative play design, right? you got players running short of the sticks on third downs. You have just a lot of awkwardness in this offense and a lot of distrust, I think, from Lamar Jackson in this offense because it's just not, it's not a well-designed drop-back passing game, right? And when you look at that fourth down play where everyone wants to talk about this, the decision because that's all they care about and that's all they think they can control and they don't understand win probability, I don't care. The execution of that play is the real concern. That play is designed for Devin DuVernay to get open on the corner route. And he was. He was wide open with his hands up in the corner of the end zone. Lamar Jackson in the interview after the game said he looked at him late, didn't see him. If he saw him on the time, on time, he would have thrown that pass and it would have been a touchdown. Why is he not looking at Devin DuVernay? Maybe that's because he doesn't trust DuVernay as much as he does Bateman. But also maybe that's because he just didn't expect a Greg Roman play to actually get open. I don't know. Like I think there's just so much distrust in this passing game that it is dysfunctional, right? It isn't easy. Nothing is easy. As, as easy as Lamar Jackson makes it look, nothing is easy for this Baltimore Ravens offense. So I'm worried about how they can do against really good defenses right now this year. Lou Anarumo, Lou, Lou Anarumo in Cincinnati, the defense coordinator, is calling gem after gem after gem. He has a defense that is top seven, I believe, even top six in EPA per play allowed so far this year. And they are cooking. Cooking as a pass rush, cooking on the back end. Jadobia Wuzi, I think, is one of the more underrated players in the NFL. And then offensively, Joe Burrow is kind of finding it. Yes, he's fighting conservative, I would say even at times disastrous play calling from Zach Taylor, but over the last two weeks, second in EPA per dropback at 0.25 over the past two weeks, and he ranks fifth in the same stat when he's kept, or when he's pressured. He is winning on these pressure dropbacks as well. I like Joe Burrow a lot, and he is playing good football over the last two weeks. Both these quarterbacks, though, will be fighting play callers. They will be fighting Zach Taylor and his conservatism. They'll be fighting Greg Roman and his ineptitude. That is what I think the biggest storyline of this game is. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I don't understand what Zach Taylor is doing in Cincinnati. Um, this offense could be a lot better than what they're showing on the field. Look, I think one of the things that we should be aware of and and not trying to like pour water on their fire here. I know they got a nice win last week and, and are feeling good about themselves. Back-to-back wins here after a couple of bad games to start the year. Uh, but you know, Zach Taylor, if that team, and keep in mind, they went to the Super Bowl, they only went 10 and 7 during the regular season. If that team didn't have a good winning record last year and do something, like Zach Taylor would have been on the hot seat. And, you know, I don't know that it was like brilliant play calling as the reason that they were able to win 10 games last year and then make a nice run through the postseason. I think Lou Amaruo's defense was very underrated, as you 
mentioned, especially with their halftime adjustments in their performance in the third quarter, coupled that to just great variance and positive luck and a lot of other things that went the Bengals' way to make last season truly magical. Um, This team defensively has not really been tested by many good offenses. We're talking about Cooper Rush making his first start in week two. We're talking about Mitchell Trubisky making his first start in week one. And then we're talking about Joe Flacco making his last start in week three before facing Tua, who gets KO'd from the game, obviously, and then getting to play Teddy Bridgewater. And that game was obviously very close when Tua was in the game. So it's not like we're talking about masterful performances that this team uh, went up against some really great offenses that were humming and shut them down. Uh, But they did shut down the Baltimore Ravens last year in both of those games. They had a ton of success last season going up against this Baltimore Ravens offense. You know, Baltimore is going to have to figure out other ways to execute their offense rather than Lamar go do something special because Lamar can absolutely do something special. But the frustration that I have with that offense, as opposed to look at like Andy Reid with the Chiefs, for example, or a couple other really good play callers around the NFL, is that they try to make life easier on their quarterback. They try to give their quarterback either some easy reads, some no-brainer underneath throws, uh, something to make the quarterback's life a little bit easier so their brain can mentally take a break from a play or so that they can attack the defense by getting a lot of upside leverage with certain play calls that don't require the quarterback to hold on to the football or to fit the football into tight windows or to make difficult throws or reads. And that's not really what the Baltimore Ravens try to do at all. The Baltimore Ravens are trying to simply emphasize Lamar Jackson being brilliant by forcing Lamar Jackson to be brilliant at all times, as opposed to letting him take some breaks and letting him have some relaxation. And this team can't even run the football efficiently with their backs, although they had a couple nice runs last week. I'm not sure if that continues here against the Cincinnati Bengals, but hopefully for their sake it does. Uh, I just, I agree with you. I don't think that they make life easy enough on their quarterback. And it does become frustrating because I'm like Lamar Jackson's biggest stand out there was pounding this drum since before the 2019 season, but it is frustrating to watch a guy who does not have his life made easier by his coaching staff on the offensive side of the football. And it constantly requires him to not only be physically great, but to be mentally great as well and to execute at a supremely high level. And if those three things aren't happening in unison, the vast majority of a game, it's like the Ravens team does not have a chance because their defense has underwhelmed and their run game has underwhelmed. I am so glad you brought up, you know, the second half adjustments and specifically this Lou Anarumo defense in second halves. And I think that conversation for this game specifically is twofold. One, hammering that point home, the Bengals defense in the second halves of games ranks third in pressure rate and third in defense, defensive EPA per play. They are shutting teams down in the second half. And that has not been because they have big leads and all these things. This is because Lou Anarumo is in his freaking bag making plays against and, and making adjustments against good offenses. Greg Roman has the opposite problem. You know, in, in the first half against the Buffalo Bills, L- Lamar Jackson was cooking. You know, Lamar Jackson, I believe, had over 100 yards passing and a score. He went 12 of 16 for 108 yards and a touchdown in the first quarter. In the second half, he completed eight passes for 36 yards and threw two picks. Like, it was... It was, a, it was night and day, a real tale of two halves for Lamar Jackson in this offense. And guess what? It's not because Lamar Jackson got worse. This offense got worse, and it got found out. And I think Lou Anarumo, for the same reasons you said, he's dominated this in the past and all that stuff. I think you're going to see that again. I am on the Bengals, on the road here, to, 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 to prove to potentially a 3-2. and two. I like them at plus 3. I'm taking the points, and I'm probably going to sprinkle a half unit on the money line. I like this Bengals team against Baltimore, not because Baltimore's not talented, not because Lamar Jackson isn't great. I still really like... Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson to be competitive in this division. I just think Anna Rumo versus Roman, Anna Rumo. And I think Burrow versus Jackson, I like Jackson. I, I think what matters more, though, is these coaches in this matchup. I, I think that's going to be the bigger feat. Yeah, I mean, look, if you go back and look, and this was a talking point of mine last season, especially down the stretch as this team was running through the postseason. If you look at, I'll, I'll start with week 11 onward, and I'll read off game by game the total points that 
opponents scored in the third quarter of games against Lou Anarumo's defense of the Bengals. Week 11, zero, then zero, then zero, then three, then seven, then zero, then zero, then zero. And that's the end of the regular season. In the playoffs, they allowed zero, then 10, then zero, then three. And so far this season, zero, zero, three, three. And the two games they allowed field goals in the third quarter, they allowed zero points in the fourth quarter in both of those games. Those have been the last two games. He's simply been brilliant. And looking at this, it's hard not to think that a second half bet on the Bengals could be a value here, which you can't necessarily place now, but wait till the game kicks off. And at halftime, look to back the Cincinnati Bengals in the second half. If you like the Ravens, you might be more interested in backing them in the first half rather than the second. In the look ahead last summer, this game was Baltimore minus two. The look ahead prior to last week's games was Baltimore minus three and a half. So a big switch in what the Ravens had looked like starting off the season two and one going up against the Buffalo Bills last week and the Bengals starting off the season one and two, that line shifted a point and a half through that key number of three. Now it's back down to just three points for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, So obviously early money has come in on the Cincinnati Bengals in the look ahead market, as well as to start this week. I think this is going to be a tremendous game. I would be shocked. Do you, as you're envisioning this game and you like the rave, you like the Cincinnati Bengals here, but do you think that this game is anywhere close to the lopsided final scores that we saw last year of 41 to 17 and 41 to 21 wins by the Cincinnati Bengals? Or do you think see a substantially closer game, but you see the value in the three points? No, I think it's going to be a closer game. I, I don't see the Cincinnati Bengals going to Baltimore and blowing out the Ravens. I think Lamar Jackson is too good for that. Even with Greg Roman kind of, you know, pulling him down, in my opinion, every single week, I think he's too good to get blown out here. And I think defensively, the Baltimore Ravens have given up a lot of explosives and they've had a banged up secondary and there's been a lot of frustration on that end. I still think defensively, there's enough here to limit the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm not saying the Bengals offense is found out, but we know Zach Taylor is going to be conservative. We know he's going to call a lot of early down runs. And we know that if you call double and triple coverages over to Jamar Chase, it makes this offense a little bit harder, right? And it makes it a little bit harder for Joe Burrow and he needs to have success waiting in the pocket a bit and under pressure, which are more volatile areas of the offense. I don't think the offense is coming as easy for the Cincinnati Bengals. It's coming easier than for Lamar Jackson. I don't think it's coming as easy for them to go and blow them out. I think you gave the best betting advice of the podcast at the end here, where you're like, hey, if you like the Bengals in this matchup and you're not ready to bet them at plus three, you're not ready to bet the money line full game, watch the first half and see where this line is second half. Because I think there could be legitimate value on the Bengals if this game is close, say it's 7-7 or say the Ravens are leading 10-7 at the half to side with the Bengals at that point, knowing that Anarumo for the first four weeks of the season has proven fantastic at second half adjustments, whereas Roman and this Baltimore Ravens offense has, you know, a lot of ways fallen into its shell. That's going to do it for this week of the Ringer Gambling Show with myself and Warren Sharp. Massive shout outs to our producer, Stefan Anderson, Connor Nevins, and Steve Cerruti. Really enjoy this show every week, Warren. It's getting better every single week. I'm excited to continue to do this with you. We are on every single Wednesday. Make sure to tune in. Until next time, Austin Gale, Warren Sharp.